morning to you all. If you would take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 27, <clears throat> we're going to be working through, Lord willing, the entirety of that passage today. And as you are turning there, I just have a couple of housekeeping items. I wanted to remind you of our uh, Sunday school class that uh, we have over in the fellowship hall at 9 o'clock. And if you have um, missed that uh, for the past couple of weeks or happened to miss it, uh, it is recorded and it, the audio is put online. I would encourage you to be there, of course, for the conversation if you at all can be there during the time of, because uh, we get to interact, we get to ask and answer questions and whatnot. So I would encourage you uh, for that. We are working our way through the uh, Second London Baptist Confession and uh, considering that in, in pretty good detail. Today I intended to get through two whole paragraphs. I made it through one whole paragraph, so hopefully I can pick up the pace uh, during our uh, time this morning. But I would encourage you for that. Uh, likewise, we started this past week meeting for evening services at 6 p.m., again over in the fellowship hall, and that is recorded as well. Um, but in that one, we are working our way through the concept of covenant theology, trying to examine whether it's biblical, where it's found in the Bible, what it means, why it's significant, and trying to work through that. And we, uh, Lord willing, will spend the entirety of the semester working on that topic. So I would encourage you to be there for that. Um, I thought it was a very encouraging time this past week. Uh, we try to finish up right at 7 o'clock. Um, and again, if you feel like you are already behind the curve because you missed the first one, you can catch up online. Those are recorded as well, and you can uh, listen to that. But I would encourage you to be there for that time. It's very encouraging. Uh, it's fun to be together, and it is a, a benefit. We, uh, we are able to study together and work together, and it's encouraging to me as the teacher to see uh, you all with your Bibles open and working through um, questions and answers and whatnot. It's encouraging uh, for all of us to be together for that. So I would encourage you uh, to that end for um, evening service tonight at 6 and then Sunday school next week at 9 a.m. Again, we are in uh, Genesis chapter 27. And I want to read here, not the entirety of the chapter, but starting in verse 1. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we worship you 
this morning. Thank you that we have been able to join together in prayer already today to bring our needs, our requests, and our hearts before you to seek your face in that fashion. Thank you that you hear us because of Jesus, our Savior. Thank you also that we've been able to come to you in song to lift up your name and encourage one another of these truths that we have sung. Thank you that you have been at work already by your Spirit as we have gathered together, we, the the body of Christ in this local expression. And as we turn to your Word now, we ask, Father, that you would continue to bless us, that your Spirit would be at work taking the words on this page and the words in this message, using them in our hearts to draw our eyes and our minds and our hearts to you to confront us perhaps with uh, the things in our lives that need to be corrected, to exhort us and encourage us perhaps in ways that we need to uh, believe you more and step out in obedience to what you say. This is your time, and we ask that you would do your work in us by your Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You no doubt have uh, run across families in your life that have been exemplary families that you have learned from the parenting styles of mother and father and perhaps even uh, how mom and dad relate to each other in their marriage, and you've been encouraged by that. Maybe you've seen how uh, the children have been obedient and honoring to their parents, and you've just thought, this is a wonderful Christian family that's encouraging to me and I can learn a lot from. This is not that family. As we turn to... Genesis chapter 27, I know there is a tendency in some circles to seek for uh, the moral of the story in the sense that a story is being told for the purpose of of exhibiting a high character of those that we read about on the page, and that is not this story. As we read through about this family, we can see the problems that really um, each one of them exhibits. We can see tragedy. We can see that, that here we have a family where um, we should not learn to parent, and we should not uh, learn as children to behave towards our parents the way these two sons do towards their parents or towards one another uh, for that matter. And so as we turn to our passage, we want to get a background just a little bit here and, and uh, kind of see sort of the backdrop for what we're talking about in chapter 27, if you look at the end of chapter 26, we saw in verse 34 and verse 35 there that when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So here when Esau was turning 40, which is about the age when normally in this culture the father would go and find a wife for his son, an appropriate wife from the appropriate people, and find that wife for his son, we see instead something very different happen. If you remember in Isaac's own story that when he was 40, his father went to great lengths to Uh, find a a wife suitable for him. You remember, he took that servant and he sent the servant far away to his own family. And uh, 
went to his own people, and it was a long journey, and he was gone for some time and, and uh, went all the way to Mesopotamia because Abraham didn't want to take a wife from among the people of the land. He wanted to take a wife from among his own people. And so, though Abraham had gone to such great lengths in sending the servant all the way to uh, a faraway land to retrieve a wife for him when he was 40, when his sons became 40, we don't have any indication of Isaac doing that. Isaac has kind of been a passive character as we've read about him, and that's the case here as well, that that time came, the time to find a wife for his sons, uh, but we don't see him doing anything. Instead, we see Esau taking care of things himself. When Esau is 40 years old, he goes and he takes not a wife, but two wives. And not just any wife, not just any two wives, but Hittite wives. Took wives from the people of the land, the very thing that he should not have done. And of course, these two wives who come into the family, they've now been married into the family. They make life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And so, you can see right off the bat, it's kind of an it's kind of a behind-the-scenes sort of thing here. We see Isaac already dropping the ball, that he is not quite the dad that he ought to be. And we see really that continue in what we read here as we see Rebekah begin to take charge, right? First, we have the, 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 a blessing is proposed that Isaac is old and his eyes are dim, he can't see, and he calls in his son Esau and he gives him a command and he wants to bless Esau, right? That he wants Esau to go out and hunt. Esau is a great hunter. We've already read that. He's to go out and hunt. He is to, verse 4, prepare for me, says Isaac, delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. So there's a, a blessing that's about to happen. And in our culture, we don't really do this in the same way. In this culture, it was a big deal that a father, as he was nearing the end of his life, and particularly if he was on his deathbed, he would give a blessing to his sons, and he would, he would divvy out that blessing according to the sons that he had and, and whatnot. And here, that's the case that we have. Isaac says, I don't, I'm old. I don't know when I'm going to die, but I can't see, and I know the time is coming. And so Esau, here's what I want you to do is go out, get some food, bring it back, and make it for me that I may bless you. We see another problem right off the bat. Why was Isaac only calling Esau? He, he just set aside the one son. He disregarded the other. There were two sons, and they were twins. And so his blessing should have been for both of them. We see in other instances in, uh, in Jacob's life, for example, and where, where he, he calls his sons together to bless them. And the blessing is going to be divvied up, and it's going to be differing according to age and whatnot. But here we have him call his son Esau. I'm going to bless you. Nothing said of Jacob. So we see that a blessing is proposed, and at the same time we see that a scheme is hatched. Because, of course, when this instruction is given, when the blessing is proposed, we see in verse 5 that Rebekah was listening. She was right there. She heard it. I don't know if she was eavesdropping. Maybe she was in the room. But the point is, she took that information. She knew it was relevant, and she went to her other son. And so uh, she takes 
that information. She says, um, this is what I heard. Uh, your father is going to bless your brother and sent him out to get this hunt game and bring food and whatnot. Now therefore, now therefore my son, in verse 8, obey my voice as I command you. Your father has commanded your brother, but I'm giving you a command. Here's what I want you to do. Go get a couple of, uh, a couple of animals from the pen, bring them, and I will make them into delicious food such as he loves, in verse 10, and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So you see that she is uh, conniving, to say the least. That Esau is referred to as your father's son. Jacob is referred to as her son. He... uh, There is such a distinction within the family that you know how when... Uh, when a mom and dad want to tease about this child who's dis, you know, mis- misbehaving or whatever, that this is, this, that's your child, you know. You, you go take care of this, right? <clears throat> I'm disavowing uh, myself right now. Well, that's the case right here. There is such a distinction between the twins that Esau goes with Isaac, Jacob goes with Rebekah. And so Rebekah concocts this plan that she doesn't think it's a good thing for this blessing to pass on to Esau. And so she goes to Jacob. She says, here's what we're going to do instead. But you see, in verse 11, Jacob has an objection. It's interesting what his objection is not. If your mom came to you with a plan and said, here's how we're going to lie to dad. Here's how we're going to steal the blessing that belongs to your brother. Hopefully your objection would be a different objection than his. But his objection is, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall be seen to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His objection was not, Mom, that's a terrible idea because it's wrong. His objection was, I might get caught. You see right into Jacob's heart in that situation what he is like. He doesn't want to get caught. And of course, his mom has uh, a plan. She's thought of everything. She's She's that kind of woman, right? In verse 14, we see uh, the, the instruction uh, given. Well, we have, we have his objection there. My father will feel me, and, uh, and I will be cursed. Mom says, let the curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them. So she says, let the curse fall upon me. So he goes and he does that and, uh, and brings them to Rebekah. We see in verse 15, Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, So not only is she saying, you need to go in and pretend to be Esau, now she's saying, you need to dress up like him for this charade. The best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she gives him the food and sends him in. So she dressed him up. Right? She's thought of everything. She uh, knows how to pull this thing off. So not only is he to go get food because Esau was supposed to have food, and it's going to be delicious. It's going to be made the way Isaac likes it, which no doubt Rebecca knew. Not only are all of those things in place, but now 
you're to put on your brother's clothes, and the fact that you're a smooth man needs to be covered up, so let's take the skins of these goats and put them on you so that you can pretend to be Esau in every way possible. At what point do you think Jacob would have said, Mom, this is ridiculous. Not only is it wrong, but it's absurd. But we see that he goes along with it. So he goes and he does that, gets dressed up like his brother. So Rebekah has taken charge, and we see that in, uh, starting in verse 18, Jacob goes along with his mother's scheme. He should have pulled the plug at some point on this plan, but he doesn't. Verse 18, so he went into his father, and he said, my father. So he's carrying the food, dressed like his brother. He's got goat skins wrapped around him so that he will seem to be hairy. He's, he's probably disguising his voice, trying to sound like his brother. So he went into his father and he said, My father. He said, Here I am. Uh, who are you, my son? So Isaac's a little suspicious right off the bat. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you've told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. Jacob lies about his identity. Who are you, my son? I'm Esau. That's right. I'm Esau. That's who I'm pretending to be. (laughs) He just flat lies to his father. And we see that the lie gets worse. It's bad enough that he lied about his own identity. Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Hardly any time has passed. I mean, you would have had to get your hunting party ready and go way out and and, and hunt, and who knows how fast you would find the game and then bring it back and then cook it. And here I've already, uh, I'm already eating, so how did that happen so quickly? Listen to, to Jacob's answer. It's worse than his previous lie because the Lord your God granted me success. I'm here so quickly because of God. What a blasphemous lie. So not only is he lying about his own identity, he's lying about God Himself, as if it's God who has concocted this scheme, as if it's God who has made it possible for Him to be there so quickly. Verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. He's still not convinced. The son has said, Yeah, I'm Esau. And the son has said, God gave me success, and that's why I'm back. Sounds very spiritual. But he still has doubts, and so Isaac knows there's a lot at stake, and Isaac's eyes are dim. He can't see what he's looking at, and so he wants to confirm it. So he wants to feel him to see whether you really are my son Esau or not. Verse 22, so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, the voice is Jacob's voice. The hands are the hands of Esau, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. That Isaac is mostly convinced. He's kind of going along with it. He's had every answer given. He's even felt him. His hands are the hands of Esau. So he asks him one more time. He's He's not yet fully convinced, and there's 
this blessing is only given once, and so he wants to confirm. He says, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob said, I am. And then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. The father is ultimately fooled. The father is ultimately fooled in this situation. He had his suspicions. He had his doubts. But Jacob is a good liar. He's conniving. He's playing the part. And his mom is equally conniving. She's dressed him up well. She's prepared the food just right. She's given him every opportunity to steal his brother's blessing. And so the father is fooled. And we see, continuing on, that the younger is blessed. Verse 26, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. There's one more confirmation as if Isaac needed more. We see here that, that when, he, when he comes close and he kisses him, that he smells like Esau. Rebecca has thought of everything. Can you see the deception? This runs deep. This isn't just the idea that uh, you know, tell this little white lie and we can get out of trouble or something like that. This is, this is premeditated. It is worked out in great detail so that this blessing can be stolen. And we see the blessing itself there in the second half of verse 27 and following. See, the smell of my son, says Isaac, is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. What a blessing Isaac has given to the one he thinks is Esau. The fatness of the earth, the, the dew, the lush provision. May God provide you with everything. Riches and food and everything that is good and wonderful. May the Lord provide that for you. That's wrapped up in this blessing. And not only that, but may others serve you. May even your brothers your relatives bow down to you and serve you. The blessing is extensive. It's not just some good things, but it, but it extends to that. May these others serve you. And in fact, may anyone who ever dreams of cursing you, may that one be cursed. It's the boomerang effect of cursing and blessing. The one who blesses you, may it be returned upon him. He gives this great blessing, passes it on to the one that he thinks is Esau. He thinks he's passing it on to the older brother, but in fact, he's passing it on to the snake, to the younger brother who's the weasel, the trickster, the heel grabber, the favorite of Rebecca who is much like him, to Jacob. And so Jacob now has both the inheritance, remember he stole that earlier, tricked his brother out of it really, sold it at a time of Esau's weakness. 
And now he has flat stolen the blessing that belongs to the firstborn of the family. He has elevated himself into the position by his conniving, by his trickery, by his opportunism. He has put himself into the position of firstborn in the family, the position of blessing, the position of inheritance, the position of all the good things coming to him. And he's done so by trickery. And so, what a family, huh? What a great family. It's amazing the depths of the conniving work that they've gone through. And so we see that Rebekah has taken charge, that Jacob goes along with his mother's scheme, and now we see very painful consequences to follow. Verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. See, the author wants us to catch that moment. It's almost like they passed each other in the doorway or, or, or Jacob had just turned down the hall when, when Esau came in. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau just missed it. Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Right at that moment, right at that time, he comes walking in, and he's done what he's been told to do. He went out hunting. He's prepared the food. He's brought it in. He's, he, he does all this thing. And when he comes in, we see there in verse 32, his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Tragic character. Then Isaac hearing and no doubt being immediately made aware of what has gone on as he, as he hears his older son's voice, as he now knows he's been tricked, he trembled very violently. He's furious, furious because he knows what is at stake and that it is lost. And he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. You see, the blessing wasn't just something that could be given and taken away. It wasn't just uh, some kind words or uh, what we, we might consider a blessing or, or something like that. It's not a gift that can be taken back and then given to another person. Once it's bestowed, it is bestowed. And those words cannot be taken back. That blessing cannot be removed. It has been placed upon a man, and though he's the wrong man, though he's not the one Isaac thought he was blessing, though, though he's not Esau, the one for whom it was intended, though he lied through his teeth to get that blessing, nevertheless, he was the one that received the blessing, and it's his. And Isaac knows it, and so he trembles violently. He is furious about what has happened here. You can't just take back the words, the blessing, once it's given, it's given. And so Esau, of course, pleads for a blessing, but Jacob has stolen it. And look at, look at the reaction in verse 36. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. He recognizes what his brother has done. He recognizes the gravity of his situation that, that previously he's already been 
been tricked, as it were, into selling his birthright for a a bowl of lentil stew. Now he's had the blessing, something else that he could have counted on as being the firstborn and, and that had just been promised to him earlier that day. That, too, has been taken away. And so you see his reaction, and there's little room left for any blessing for him. He says, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I've made him Lord over you and all his brothers I've given to him for servants and with grain and wine I've sustained him. What else can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. He's just begging. He's going to end up with nothing, nothing. The firstborn, the one who stood to inherit, the one who should have been blessed, the one who should have taken over in his father's position, he's going to have nothing. Don't you have anything at all left for me? Esau lifted up his voice and wept. He realizes he's been tricked out of everything. The deception is discovered and the depth of it is understood. But nevertheless, we see that the older is blessed. In verse 39, if we could call it a blessing, Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. You see, that's almost an anti-blessing because Jacob has received all the good stuff and there's nothing left but the bad stuff away from the good things. That's where you get to be, Esau. Your home is going to be in a place where there's not even dew. There's no blessing. You're going to live by being scrappy. You're going to live by your sword and you're going to serve your brother. And there will come a time when you will grow restless, and so you will break that yoke from your neck. It's not much of a blessing. He's blessed with a pile of bad things, basically. So you can imagine Esau's heart. And so you see there in verse 41, revenge gets plotted. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. Jacob came in and stole all the good things and left only the bad things for Esau. And he hates his brother for it. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. He hates his brother not just in a sense of, can't stand that guy, he done me wrong. He hates him in the sense that when I get the chance... The very first chance I get, as soon as dad is out of the picture, I'm going to kill him. You get a peek into Esau's heart. That though he is certainly the one who's been ripped off in this scenario, he's himself not innocent. We saw already that when he, was, when he became of age and, and it was time to get married and, and dad didn't take care of the deal, he didn't journey off to to find a, a, a wife from Mesopotamia. He, he married a local woman. 
and married another local woman against all custom, against instruction of their grandfather, against all principles. He married two Hittite women, and, and now when he's been wronged, though he's been sorely wronged. And isn't it true that when we've been wronged like that, you can see what's really in our heart? And you see what's in his heart. He's been wronged just about as badly as a person could be wronged. And his response is, I'm going to kill him. Not just, I'm really angry. Or not in some hyperbolic way. He is planning to off his brother. You see right into his heart. And so he plots revenge. And of course, Rebecca being Rebecca, she hears about it. And, uh, and, and the message is told to her, and so she calls Jacob and says, Now therefore, verse 33, 43, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, because it went so well last time. Obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Of course, she, she thinks it's going to be a few days. It ends up being the rest of her life. He's gone. And Jacob goes off, and we're going to get into the Jacob story when the time comes, but she understands Jacob's life is in danger. Esau is going to kill her or kill him, and so she says, run away, and then she goes with a story that's half-truth, right? She goes with a story to Isaac to explain why this is, and Rebecca said to Isaac in verse 46, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. Oh yeah, it's because of the Hittite women, right? Is that, no, that's true, that we saw at the end of the previous chapter that they made their life bitter. And she says, if Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? See, she goes to her husband to explain why it is Jacob has to go away. It's not because Jacob's a rat and he's done all these evil things. It's not even because Jacob was doing exactly what his mom said to do. It's not because Jacob's actions have made his brother so furious with him that his life is in danger. No, the reason she gives Isaac is if he marries Hittite women like Esau has, it's not even worth living. Why would I even continue to live? So let's send him away. She concocts an excuse to send him away. That's the family of God right there. This is, this is the whole family of God at this time, Isaac and his wife and his two sons. And that's the story of how the blessing passes on from the older to the younger. That's the story of how uh, the older will serve the younger. That we uh, read about earlier that the prophecy was given as Rebekah was, was pregnant with them and they were fighting in her womb. It's not a very encouraging story. And if I were to try and draw some kind of moral out of this story for us. By the way, early in church history and even in Jewish commentaries on these topics of the day, they, would, they tended to see these characters as heroes of the faith. And in some ways, in many ways, we see heroes of the faith when we're reading in Genesis. And then the next step, they fall flat on their face. And in this case, we're seeing mostly falling flat on their face. We don't see faith really represented in here all that much at all. But 
the early commentators would try to present Rebecca in the best picture. She was looking out for her son, and she was trying to fulfill this prophecy and, and all this kind of stuff. And I, I, don't, I don't believe any of that. I think everybody involved was deeply, deeply flawed. But we need to make some implications. What do we learn from this? What implications can we draw from this passage? I think, first of all, Rebecca and Jacob represent yet another attempt to get God's blessing by sinful human means. 25, 23 of Genesis, we read that prophecy that the, the one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. And, and through conniving, through the, the means that she's gone about accomplishing, Rebecca has brought that about. And maybe, maybe she thought she was fulfilling prophecy. But even if that is the case, she certainly did so in a sinful fashion. That she saw that the situation was that today's the day the blessing is going to go to the older son, and that can't happen because the younger is supposed to be in charge. The younger is supposed to rule over the older. Remember the prophecy? But it's playing out. It's, I'm about to lose it. It's going away. What do I do? What do I do? And so she concocts this plan. It's so detailed that it seems like she probably had been thinking about it for a while. And she brings it about, she brings it to completion, so that indeed the one shall be stronger than the other, and indeed the older shall serve the younger. And she brought it about by lying and deception and leading her son into those same things. So we see another example of that, trying to accomplish God's purposes perhaps, but doing so by sinful human means. That's one of the implications. That's one of the things that we see played out in this chapter. What's another thing? Well, I'm struck as I read Genesis 27 that the fact that anyone in this family receives any kind of blessing from God at all is sheer mercy. Every one of them is uh, dysfunctional to say the very least Isaac has been ignoring his sons. He's been favoring the one over the other, and Rebecca did the same thing. Came time to marry off his sons, didn't do it, didn't do anything about it, so much so that Esau goes and gets himself hitched. Isaac's passive in this whole thing. And then when it comes time to bless his sons, he doesn't. He calls the one son because he wants to bless the one son. He himself is no shining example of faith and piety in this one. And of course, Rebecca, do we need to say anything about Rebecca? Do we need to say anything about Jacob? And we see that even Esau, when the time came that his father should have married him off, that's not what happened, so he was left to deal with it. And how did he deal with it? Well, he, he married from the daughter's of the Canaanites, from the daughters of the Hittites there in the land. Rather than going to find a good wife, he marries not one but two, very intentionally does so. And so we see that he himself is no upright man, and when he is wronged, grievously wronged admittedly, but when he is wronged, he sharpens his knives and he plots the assassination. He's going to kill his brother. There's nobody upstanding. 
And so the fact that anybody in this family is blessed at all is just God's mercy. There's another implication of what we're looking at here, and that's that Jacob's actions, Jacob knew of the prophecy. Jacob had already tricked his brother out of the inheritance, and now he lies to get the blessing. Jacob's actions are utterly sinful. Every step of the way, he's sinning against God. But ultimately, in God's plan, that ends up being salvific. God is at work savingly through that process, through that sinful process where where the whole family is caught up in it. God is bringing about salvation. Why do I say that? It's because Jacob will be the father of the twelve, including Judah. And Judah will be the one who will have the son who will sit on the throne. Not not David, not Solomon, but Jesus. That salvation will ultimately come through the one who receives the blessing. Jacob, the trickster, the heel grabber. That that God was at work in such a way that that even though the actions of the family were sinful in, in every way, God was accomplishing a good purpose, bringing salvation to you and me, bringing about the lion of the tribe of Judah, who will be the one who will save sinners. And so we see here that Jacob's actions are utterly sinful, and yet God's purposes are salvific. And so finally we can say by way of application, uh, by way of implication, the final implication But here we have this story, if you think about who the patriarchs are, when we talk about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is is invoked throughout the remainder of Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. We see that again and again as if if these men are lifted up, these men are exalted, but we don't don't see that here at all. But but Jacob is one of the patriarchs. He's that great patriarch who who, uh, gives birth to uh, the, the twelve that, that he fathers, that patriarch starts like this. The encouraging implication here is that Jesus is the greater patriarch who instead of conniving against his brothers to steal their blessing, which is what Jacob did against Esau, Jesus, instead of conniving against his brother to steal his blessing, agrees on behalf of others to take upon himself their curse so that he can give them blessing. You see, Jacob here is is like a, a reverse image of what Christ does for us. Jacob does everything in his power to steal that blessing. He even takes on the skins of another, takes on the dress, the clothing of another, so that he can rip that blessing against justice, rip that blessing from his father and away from his brother. Well, Jesus comes on the scene, and he's like the reverse of every bit of that. Jesus also takes on flesh, doesn't he? He takes on our clothing. He stands in our place. But rather than ripping from us the blessing that was rightly ours. Instead, he takes upon himself the curse that is rightly ours. 
so that in turn He can give His own blessing away to us. And so Jacob here is is like the opposite. He's like the reverse of Jesus. What What an encouraging lesson when we think about it that way. When we think about how this points us to Christ, the one the one who stands in our place to take the curse. Instead of Jacob who stood in his brother's place to steal the blessing, leaving only a curse. Jesus takes on himself the cursing, leaving only blessing for those who are in him. So we move on to application. The first point of application, I think, is is brief but profound. Don't try to obtain God's blessing by sinful means. Don't try to obtain God's blessing by sinful means. And you're sitting there thinking, I would never do that. (laughs) But how often do we? It's It's a temptation to, particularly for some reason, a young woman who is a Christian, and so badly wants to get married. And she looks around at the young men and she can't find a godly young man, a Christian young man, to marry her. She searches and she can't find him, so she, she's willing to marry a man who will agree to come to church sometimes, who doesn't outright reject the gospel who will allow her to go to church and she will marry him so that she can have the blessing of marriage and she goes about doing it by her own means don't do that don't do that it would be better not to have that marriage than to enter in I think of Something as simple, perhaps, as, you know, you're trying to pay off debt. You're trying to uh, get ahead in the world, and, and for good reasons, and, and, and all of that. And so you just, you, you lie on how long a job took you so that you can get paid a little extra. Or you lie to Uncle Sam about how much money you made so that you can keep that, because me and old Uncle Sam anyway. Right? And so you, you're willing to lie. You're willing to, to seek that blessing from God by sinful means don't do that. Or I think of, of young couples who, maybe not even young, couples who are, for some reason, one reason or another, just not in a position to get married, but they love each other. They want that, they want that blessing of marriage, and so rather than get married, they just live together. And they're seeking to seeking to experience that blessing that is marriage and all that comes with it, all of the, the blessing of God that's piled on that, and they, and they seek to imitate it. Don't do that. Don't try to obtain God's blessing by sinful means. I've run Jacob down a lot, and he kind of deserves it in this chapter. <laughs> But he did one thing right. Can you guess? He did one thing right, and we should learn from it. We should learn from his example in this regard. He desperately sought the blessing of his father. 
He did it in every wrong way. He accomplished it in, in, in the, the vilest of, of means, but he sought, desperately sought the blessing of his Father. We should have half as much passion to be blessed by our Father in heaven as Jacob did to be blessed by Isaac. Jacob wanted the blessing due to the firstborn so badly that he took awful, sinful, and degrading steps to do it forever. Jacob will be remembered as this man who did this. The firstborn from the dead, Jesus our Lord, has received blessing as well. And when we turn to Him in faith, when we enter into Christ by faith, we become partakers of that blessing due to Him. See, we don't have to steal it. We don't have to come into the scene and try and steal God's blessing. Hopefully, we desire God's blessing. Hopefully, we desire to be rightly related to Him, to know who God is and, and have all of those blessings. We're not in a situation where we have to trick God somehow. Well, if I go to church enough, if I say some right things, if I uh, change the way I dress, if I change the way I talk, if I if I change something, if I start hanging out with different friends, maybe I can make God think that I'm Esau, that I'm the one who deserves the blessing, the one who's right it is. Maybe I can somehow dress up right. Maybe I can act right. Maybe I can do the Christian thing and somehow trick God into giving me that blessing, glory and heaven and life with Him and, and those sorts of things. You can't, you can't trick Him. First of all, He knows all things. And secondly, we don't have to. It's not a competition between us and Christ. Christ has come and He has taken upon Himself our own curse, our own judgment for sin and paid for it. That He Himself, when He hung on that, on that cross, was bearing in His own body the penalty for my sin. And that by faith in Christ, when I look to Him and when I trust in Him, turn away from, from these other things, whatever else I'm trusting in, trying to, trying to fake God out by dressing right or something, whatever, whatever sinful way I, or, or deception that, I, that I've trusted, turn from that to look to Jesus, the Savior, and find that He's paid the penalty for my sin. And He gladly and joyfully gives me the blessing that is His to give. I don't have to trick Him. I don't have to steal it. He gives it freely. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 7, of these, this great litany of these blessings that are ours in Christ. And if you want encouraging reading, read Ephesians chapter 1. These blessings that He gives us that are ours, they're His to share, and He shares with everyone who is in Him. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ 
might be to the praise of His glory. And in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. My hope is that we seek the blessing of God the way Jacob sought the blessing of his, his father. But may we understand that it is not something to be taken, not something to be stolen, not something that God needs to be tricked out of, not something that we need to, to do a certain list of things and check off the right boxes so that we can somehow appease him and, and trick him into treating us like Esau, treating us as the ones who deserve the blessing. Instead, he freely gives those things in Christ. And so may we seek those blessings, the blessings of God, and seek them where they are to be found in Jesus, our Savior, the one who gives them freely to all who believe in Him. Let's pray. Father, we see in this chapter a family that is dysfunctional with a capital D, a family that is riddled with sin and selfishness and apathy and deception and murder, then we recognize that often that's, that's a little bit like we are. And we see the fact that though they are such people, yet there is blessing Blessing given to Jacob. Jacob, who is such a rat in this story. And I give you thanks and give you praise that though I myself have behaved in a way that not, not quite like Jacob, but in my own way, and yet in Christ there is blessing even for me. And there is blessing for all who will look forward in Christ. I pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord, to grow a passion and a desire to be blessed by you in the ways that you love to bless. We have our own list of what we think blessing is. We submit to yours, and we look for that blessing, and may we do so fervently, frequently, and find it in Christ. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior, the better patriarch. Bless us as we go, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would remind you again of the evening service tonight. Uh, there will be a family up front who would love to pray with you, and I'll be down front if you want to come and talk to me as well. God bless you all, and you're dismissed.